Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I am so pleased to have Radiance Harris with me today. Hi, Radiance. Hi, Erin. Thank you for having me. That is such a beautiful name. Tell me the origin of your name. Thank you. I mean, long story short, my parents both have our names, Rhonda and Rodney, and they wanted their firstborn child to have an R name that was similar feel to faith, hope, or patience. And I look in the dictionary, saw the word radiance, and voila, here I am. Well, that's that's a great result. We have all (laughs) names in my family, but they're not nearly as interesting (laughs) as radiance. Yes. (laughs) So we get Ernest, Elizabeth, another Ernest, Edward, and Aaron. So we have Rhonda, Rodney, Radiance, and Revae. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone can share, <laughs> share monogram purchase, right? <laughs> so I am so excited about this episode. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then we're going to dig in. Okay. Well, thank you again for having me. I am Radiance Harris. I'm the founder and managing attorney of Radiance IP Law, and I help emerging businesses protect, monetize, and grow profitable brands with trademarks. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I discovered Radiance. And, you know, first of all, we're kind of neighbors. We live right across the Potomac River from each other. Um, We haven't met yet in person, but we're going to have to fix that very soon. (laughs) Uh, But I discovered Radiance because I read about her in some really it was it was a local magazine i believe where you were a rising star or a shooting star or a superstar <laughs> or some kind of star that's all i know is that you were some kind of star and uh, and so i knew i had to reach out to you immediately you know i am a rapidly anti-dabbler you know, I'm pro-vaxxer, anti-dabbler. And so I love to talk to experts, you know, in other areas of law to, you know, kind of who really have that deep expertise so they can talk to the audience. So this is one of those topics that um, I would really like to keep broader. Like sometimes I'll have someone in, we'll just kind of go into one like little niche. But this one, I think, you know, people are so interested in the topic of trademarks and just to get a broad, you know, 3000 foot view of it, as well as also also dig into its um, application to the expertise based business. So start from the top. Can you share just generally what is intellectual property, Mm -hmm. what the different types are, and then specifically what trademarks are? Sure. So I mean, intellectual property or IP 
is a broad umbrella term that encompasses four types or four areas. So you've got trademarks, copyright, trade secrets, and patents. And so trademarks protect your brand. So your business name, brand name, product and service names, taglines, logos, basically anything that serves as a source identifier for your business. Meaning a source identifier is that when someone sees it in the marketplace, do they automatically associate that name, that logo with your particular offerings? The second category is copyright, which protects, copyright protects content. So any of the content you create, written materials, photographs, videos, artwork, music, anything that I guess is the original expression of ideas in tangible form would be considered or subject to copyright protection. Then you've got trade secrets, which is anything that is proprietary or meant to be kept a secret. It could be a business formula, recipes, business and financial information, anything that's meant to be proprietary or kept a secret would be subject to trade secrets. And then you've got patents, which protect inventions. So if you're creating any inventive inventions, then you would be seeking patent protection for that. One question, what, Brian, when you mentioned the tangible form and people ask questions about software, is that considered tangible form? Yes. Yeah, for, I mean, you can protect, depending on the software, it could be subject to patent protection, depending on the software. It could be a subject to copyright. So you can copyright like the software coding. You can um, copyright like sort of like the look and feel, the look, not the feel, the look of the software. Um, you can protect from the trademark perspective, the name of the software would be, would be subject to trademark protection. So there's absolutely, there's multiple intellectual properties within software, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So I hear a lot that people want to trademark like everything. And, and obviously you've mentioned a lot of categories that are eligible for trademark protection. But at what point in the business do they really need to start seriously thinking about trademark from the moment they think of an, a business name or a service name or product name? Or is there some kind of inflection point where they really need to get serious about that? I think you should protect your trademarks prior to use or adoption. And, and that's important, particularly if you're, you know, really serious about your business and this is more than just a hobby. Um, it's definitely important to pursue trademark protection before you actually start using or adopting it, or at least at the very beginning. Uh, the reason why it's so important to do that is because one, you want to make sure that you're not committing a trademark infringement. So a lot of people just kind of conjure up this name in their head and they're like, ah, I love that. And they just start plastering it over everywhere with not without understanding that there are legal implications to doing that, uh, serious legal implications. And so that's one of the reasons. And then secondly, um, it gives you that, that peace of mind as you're growing your business that you now will have, you know, exclusively your ownership in the name, because that's the thing when you don't have that trademark protection in the, your business name, like you don't have any rights. You don't, you're not able to prevent competitors from using a similar name as yours or selling competing products or services. So there's a lot of and legal importance to securing a trademark prior to use and adoption. So I would do, I would say doing it sooner rather than later is the way to go. And how much time do they have before they start using it? There's a, like, isn't there a time period that they have to start using it if they do it? So there are two ways you can file trademark applications. You can file based on current use. So meaning you've already been using it and you can show evidence that you've been using it as such. 
And then you can also file based on an intent to use. So with intent to use applications, you can file those applications before you started using it. So at this point, it could just be an idea like, I know I'm gonna use this name. I know that these are the products and services that I'm offering. I wanna make sure that I have this name unlocked. So then you file the intent to use. And with those applications, you have essentially up to like three, three and a half years um, in some cases to start using the trademark before it will eventually you know, go abandoned. But assuming you're planning on launching something within the next 24 to 36 months, you could definitely start with an intent to use trademark application. Hey everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. Are they different processes and different costs? Similar process. The only difference is that you file your evidence of trademark use when you file your application with the use based applications. Whereas with the intent to use, there's an additional step right before you're registered where the USPTO wants to see evidence of trademark use. So that's when you have to submit a statement of use. And that's where you would give them, okay, here's the date we first started using the mark. And here's the evidence that we're using the trademark as we've applied for it. And with that additional step, there are additional filing fees. But other than that, it's the same process. Okay. So the intent to use basically like Put your flag, you know, stake in the ground, flag in the stake ground. Your gun, yeah, stake your claim. Like, I'm using this name for this. And so it establishes priority as of the filing date. So while you're getting your business affairs in order, you know, okay, I've got this name on lock. Now, if you decide to get your business affairs in order before doing it and then later find out that someone else has either filed before you, you know, has filed before you, then you're kind of out of luck. So there is a lot of benefit to doing an intent to use, especially if you know that you're going to launch within a certain amount of time and you're confident that that's going to be the, the name or the you know tagline that you want to use and then the products and services as well. Got it. So, you know, along with, you know, doctors having problems with Dr. Google, lawyers have problems with Google University, as you call it. Yeah. I was just talking to someone the other day who had tried to get a trademark protection for her business name and it was rejected. And I asked her, well, did you use a lawyer? And she said, no, but she watched some videos and she on everything on the, yeah, <laughs> read everything on the, uh, on the trademark office site. So tell us the benefits of using a lawyer. I mean, a lawyer will increase your chance of success like substantially. Um, I think it's like 60 or 70% increase in success with an attorney. Um, and one thing's for sure. So Increasingly, I say over the last two years, the USPTO has been coming increasingly aggressive in, in initiating initial refusals. So about 70% of trademark applications that are filed will receive an initial refusal via an office action. So as an attorney, when you're hiring an attorney, a good trademark attorney, not just somebody who's pretending they do trademarks or happen, happen to do it on the side, but someone who specializes in trademark law will be able to do like a preliminary or full trademark search. 
to make sure uh, that there are, you know, no challenges or potential refusals that will come. Or if there are some, they can help develop a strategy about how to either avoid them or get around them should they arise. So that's one they'll help, you know, minimize the risk of objection or refusals. Two, they'll help you um, correctly identify what categories to file the trademark application in. I know too many people who do the legal Zoom or do the DIY, the DIY and they incorrectly, for whatever reason, choose the wrong class or the wrong descriptions of products and services that does, doesn't actually cover what they're doing. And so a trademark that doesn't reflect what you're actually offering in the marketplace is no good for you. And so a trademark um, attorney can help with that, can help with the strategy and just handle the whole, all of the nuances, the minutia of the lengthy 12 to 14 month process. It's a long process. And so a trademark attorney can handle that for you while you're able to like focus on making money, building your business, things of that nature versus trying to learn trademark law. <laughs> All right, exactly. <laughs> so if you have been rejected, like, can you fix that? There are some that we can fix. There are some that we can argue around and fix. It is better though to, again, if, if we were hired at the beginning, we, would, we were anticipating that this is gonna happen. And so we had a strategy. Sometimes it's hard to fix once it's happened because now we're cleaning up a big mess. So there are some times where we're able to fix it and other times where we're not, where we have to tell them, uh, no, we got to refile this. This is like, if you had hired an attorney, you would have seen that this would have been you know, rejected kind of thing. So I would say it depends on the situation, but it's always best to do it right from the beginning because sometimes it can't be fixed. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned classes and making sure you're, are categorizing in the right class. Tell us about what that is and why that's important. Right. So there, I guess for the person who wants to learn more about how to find trademark classes, there's a trademark ID manual on the USPTO website where it's like approved descriptions of goods and services. So like if you have a mobile app or if you have a book series or, or anything, or you're doing, um, you know, courses, you go into the manual and you're, you're basically, it helps you identify approved descriptions that will be approved. Um, and so that's the best way to do go about it. But you want to make sure that your trademark application reflects what you were doing. Because there's been some that say, you know, they go and they file, for example, clothing and apparel. That they file for clothing and apparel. And it's like, I'm like, why did you file for that? Are you, are you trying to sell a clothing line? They're like, oh no, we're just selling promotional t-shirts. Like my, my business is Radiance IP Law and I just give away, you know, promotional shirts of Radiance IP Law on the front. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't secure a trademark for that because it's not a clothing brand. You're just using it for promotional purposes. So there are certain things that are not actually, I guess, noticeable or for, to the layperson, like as to what constitutes trademark use or what you would file for. But the trademark ID manual at least helps with coming up with approved descriptions but you still have to make sure that the application reflects what you're doing. Yeah, I would love to hear like the craziest story you have about trademarks. But, but first, when, when they're thinking about their names and you're helping them work through, okay, this is too generic. I know there's different levels of protection. Like even if you get a registration that there's different levels of protection, am I right there? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, sure. So not all trademarks are created equal. There are some trademarks that are stronger than others. So like, you know, the trademarks when you think about in the marketplace, like Exxon, 
Google, Kleenex, Adidas, Ikea, where they're consisting of invented words that don't exist in the English dictionary. Those are the best and the strongest and inherently distinctive trademarks. So if you come up with a name that's like invented, that's not in the dictionary, like those are the best trademarks because one, um, it's very distinctive. So they're likely, you won't have any issues with like, you know, likelihood of confusion refusal, which is like likelihood of confusion is the standard for trademark infringement. Your chances of that happening are lower because you invented the word. So then the next level underneath that are when you use words in the English dictionary, but apply it to something completely unrelated. So think of like Apple for computers, Camel for cigarettes, again, completely unrelated. Those are also good trademarks. They're distinctive because they're unrelated. Now, as you go down, now you're getting closer to like suggestive or also good trademarks, but it's you're, you're on the fence of it almost being descriptive. So when your name is really descriptive, so meaning it, it, the name describes the nature of the product's nature, feature, or characteristic of the products and services that you are offering, then it is descriptive. And descriptive names are difficult to trademark unless you can show basically that you've acquired distinctiveness. So what does that mean? Acquired distinctiveness means that you've used that descriptive name exclusively and continuously in commerce for at least five years, so much so that it's become distinctive or unique for your products and services. Only then can you then secure trademark protection for that. But as you see, it's a process. Have you ever seen that happen in real life? Oh, yeah. We've, I've got clients all the time. We were like, oh, I've been offering this name for five years. And I'm like, oh, perfect. We can, we can do acquired distinctiveness. And so when you, once you can do the acquired distinctiveness, you can't receive a descriptiveness uh, rejection. Now, if it's generic, meaning like, you know, it's a generic, completely generic term for that, then no, you can't. Generic names cannot be trademarked at all. But if it's descriptive and you've been using it exclusively and continuously for at least five years, then yeah, you can, you can, um, or just, it's been used very um, aggressively in the marketplace and you can definitely claim acquired distinctiveness to get trademark rights. But again, it, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah, you don't I think, just, I think of the person who was just telling me she was rejected and I think she might fall into that category. Yeah, with the description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and she wouldn't have known and she might not, she may have been in business for 10 years and not know that, oh, I could have claimed acquired distinctiveness. You know, that's something that a trademark attorney would be able to advise on or help with. Right. And one of the things I uh, see a lot is someone using a foreign, like a translation, a foreign translation as trying to get a trademark on that. How, how do they like that? Well, there's a doctrine of foreign equivalence. I know this is sounding very legalese, but that's what it's called, where when you're applying for a trademark for a word that's being translated, an English word, they're going to translate it to the English word. So like, you know, what I, I can't even think of a translation, but in any event, if it's a foreign word, they're going to, when they're doing the trademark search, they're going to see if there's an equivalent to it in the English language. And so when they're doing the trademark search for like welcome, so if you're using a foreign word for the word welcome, the trademark search is going to be for the word welcome. Like that, like a trademark attorney would research the foreign equivalent to make sure that there's no trademark infringement there. And so that's something to think that you, you can't get around a refusal by changing it to a foreign word if that word is already protected in English for the products and services that you're that are of interest. Got it. Okay. 
All right, so let's flip to the, you have your trademark registration and somebody else. Well, there's two things. One is if you're on the receiving end of a cease and desist. Okay. Or if you have um, a mark and you find somebody else is infringing it. Okay, so if you're on the receiving end of the cease and desist, assuming you haven't you haven't secured any U.S. federal trademark rights. Okay, so if you're on the receiving end and it's valid claim, meaning you're a junior user, they're likely, and when you're receiving a nasty gram, as I like to call it, they're usually going to ask you to cease any all use immediately. And they're going to ask you to, then in which case you're going to have to stop any all use. That means stopping in, in, in any regards, taking it down. And then you're going to have to come up with something else. You're going to have to come up with a totally new name. Um, hopefully, I mean, it could always escalate if you decide to fight and fight it off. It could escalate to litigation, but that just would not be a smart thing to do um, in this case. A lot of actual trademark infringement cases end up being settled, but they go years and years. So imagine how much legal feature, it, it's a mess. It's a mess. I like to say so there's no, the only the lawyers win. It, and it is a hot do. mess. So it's like, it's so much easier to just get the trademark early and do it right. Like you're, you're spending like three grand or something to get the trademark done versus all this money on legal fees. And then to do the rebrand is so much more expensive to you. So it's, it's important to do it right. Now, on the other hand, if you have U.S. federal trademark registration and you find out that someone started using the mark after you and you send and then, you know, you can enforce your rights against them. So you can send them a nasty gram. You can prevent them from use. But it's important to know that once you're a trademark owner, the duty is on you as the trademark owner, owner to enforce your rights. So if you don't enforce your rights, there are other people out there who could start using it and will continue to use it unless you enforce your rights. So it's not automatic. Like, yes, getting a U.S. federal trademark registration will block someone, could block someone from securing a registration with the USPTO in some cases, because sometimes there are strategies where people do these workarounds and allows them to slide in. So, but granted, it would prevent someone from getting a registration, but you have to stop them from actually using it in the marketplace. So you would send them a cease and desist letter, and then you'd have the, the option to actually sue them too. And you could get like trouble damages, you can get attorney's fees. There's all of these different remedies that you could have as a uh, holder of a trademark registration. And, uh, you know, what happens if, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but if there's two different classes, but they're very close, like, let's say, like, business something and software something, like, they're kind of similar, and somehow you're trying to get, you know, but two different companies, like, does the trademark office catch that, or does that happen sometimes someone sometimes leads not. into the other, or? It, it depends. So, like, so generally speaking, so like I mentioned before, like the standard for trademark infringement is likelihood of confusion. So it's looking at whether if someone saw two competing marks in the marketplace that were either identical or similar, would they think it's the same business? Are they affiliated by each other? Are they endorsed? Or is there some kind of relationship with them? So um, a good example of, of what's not uh, trademark infringement is like you have, for example, like Pandora for like jewelry. You've got like Pandora for like music services. You've got Dove for chocolate. You've got Dove for soap. Even though those are identical trademarks, they're covering completely unrelated products and services. So in those regards, like, you know, there's kind of kind of a pass. You can get get over it. 
There is an exception, however, for famous marks. Famous marks have like, I'd say trademark superpowers. Mm. So like famous marks like McDonald's or like Alexis or Coca-Cola, like you can't pop up with like Coca-Cola candy or Coca-Cola <laughs> shoes. Like you will get, you what? You know, there are issues with that. There's trademark, <laughs> there, that, you know, dilution issues and all of that. So typically it's important to stay away completely from famous brands. Um, with that being said, uh, when you're looking at whether something's infringing, the marks don't have to be identical for it to be infringement. They can be similar and neither do the products and services. If they're related or similar, it could constitute trademark infringement. So that's something to keep in mind when you're adopting a name and looking at what's already out there, asking yourself, am I committing trademark infringement here? Mm-hmm. So then how soon in the process, because most people are out there thinking about things that don't have lawyers on speed dial and um you know they're listening to this right now like like do they call you immediately like when they're in the ideation phase or like when do, when do they call you i think it's best to call me when you are in the idea phase but you know you want to execute that idea mm-hmm. um those are the best ones i love to work with because of the fact that they are starting early so they're getting their ducks in a row if you will so mm-hmm. here's what i want to do and then we're able to come up with a legal action plan to like, here are the things you need to think about. You need to do it at this step in the process versus them getting it up and running. It's already out there and launched and they they skipped all of these other important steps. And then you realize, oh, I can't use this name now or, oh, you know, and it's like, well, if we would have did this earlier, we would have discovered it. And then I always tell people like, do not share your ideas and concepts with anyone like just anyone, because ideas and concepts are not protectable. There's no protection whatsoever. So when you're like, he he stole my idea or she stole my idea. Well, I mean, again, it's not protectable. Intellectual property protection sticks once that idea develops into something. So that idea develops into a a business name or that idea develops into um, a new invention or develops into a, a written book that's when it becomes eligible for intellectual property. So once it's an idea, I would say, keep your ideas to yourself, only share with people that you trust because otherwise they're up for grabs until intellectual property protection attaches to it. Right. So while you're bringing me to the expertise-based business, that's our audience's founders of service-based businesses that are based on their expertise. How do trademarks apply to that type of business? Right. So we work, I mean, with my business, we work with all, just about all service providers. Um, they have all, service providers have a ton of intellectual property. Um, if you think about it, you, you most likely have trademarks because you have a business name. There might be products and services that you offer that are your bread and butter. So you want to trademark those names. You have logos. Then you've got copyright because it's service-based. You're something that you're drafting up sharing, maybe you're doing videos, maybe you have training programs, um, books, those are all subject to copyright. And I'm sure you have trade secrets as well. Like what is helping you that, that I guess your secret sauce, it helps you stand out from, from your competitors. So in all of those cases, like you have intellectual property. So it's important to identify that. So identify that by doing an intellectual property audit. It's essentially like a dump and just thinking about like, all the things that you have and what have you created and how can you really leverage it? So in order to leverage that intellectual property, you have to protect it first. So like identifying it is the first step. 
then protecting it to ensure that it's actually legally yours and that it, the world knows it's legally yours. You might know it's yours, but does everybody else know it? And then thirdly, leveraging it. How can you monetize it? How can you, you know, really generate money from this? And so that's, I think it's really important to, to do it in those three steps. But service-based businesses absolutely have intellectual property in a ton of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is surprising to me as I talk to people about that where, you know, a lot of service-based businesses are selling their time and they're not really thinking about creating assets in their business and including, mm-hmm. of course, intellectual property. So yeah. it, it is, it's, we keep talking about, we'll continue to talk about it and make sure that we are capturing all the value that we're creating with our expertise. Right. So any trends that you're seeing in trademarks? I mean, you did mention that, I, I will say sometimes I go and, you know, I'll do a search uh, and I'll see someone who got a trademark that I'm like, how the heck did they get a you know, protection <laughs> in this? So I guess, you know, it is getting harder, but what, what trends are we seeing in, in trademark? Now, I mean, recent over the last year, a lot more applications for mm-hmm. NFTs and metaverse mm-hmm. type trademarks. There's a okay. big push towards virtual services and virtual products. Um, so there's been a real increase in those areas, I would say. And just in general, overall, there's just been since the pandemic, like record breaking numbers in terms of trademark filings each year, it keeps increasing so much so that there keeps being delays with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office because it's hard for them to keep up with the demands. So definitely businesses large and small out there are filing trademarks. So is that because there are more businesses or more people are aware of the need to trademark or both? I think it's probably both. Um, but I definitely think that with the <laughs> pandemic and people realizing that they can't rely on this one stream of income. And so they're either coming up with side hustles or they're taking those side hustles full time. And mm-hmm. so they're really wanting to legitimize their business because a lot of you know clients say that, yeah, when I got that trademark, I really started to take my business more seriously because you know now it's like a legit, I legitly own this. Like that LLC that you have, that domain name that you've got, that social media handles don't mean anything in terms of establishing legal ownership over your business. And, and so getting that trademark is really what does it for a lot of people. And so I think that's what it was, is that people were really starting to take their businesses seriously and or starting a new business altogether. You know, mentioning that, it reminds me of a post that you did recently about a development that the trademark office isn't doing, is going to stop doing the uh, physical Paper certificates. And because I remember, you know, I'm, an, I'm fairly new to Instagram. But for whatever reasons, Instagram served me up some uh, trademark lawyers where they would show like the you know, the whole celebration with the gift, right, and the whole thing, right, right. certificate, and it, it was very meaningful. People, you know, were right, very, very emotional about that. So, oh yes, absolutely. And I mean, you can still order them, but it's not the same as like you know just automatically issued. You know, I think a lot of places are just becoming more digital now. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of the wave of the future now. They're like, let's let's save some trees. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, um, I'm with that. I can, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> that is fantastic. So this is the hourly to exit podcast. You know, we talk about that journey from that hourly unsustainable business to one that is scalable and saleable. That includes, you know, having some exclusive assets like IP in your business and having a strong market position like a brand. And, uh, and then having some independence from an owner. So where do trademarks fit in to this landscape? 
So where do trademarks fit in? So, I mean, it fits in different ways. So it's important for you to then have the option to do any of those things, whether it's you decide to start licensing or something, or you, you want to sell your business or whatever it is, you have to have legal ownership of the asset that you're selling, right? So having the trademark in the name ensures that you are the exclusive rights owner in that name. So that gives you the option to be able to do various things when that time comes. When you don't secure those trademarks at the, you know, early on in the process, you don't necessarily, you may or may not have that option to do those things. Um, and so that's why it's so important because um, when you don't secure U.S. federal trademark, you have what's called common law trademark rights, which are only based on where you are headquartered locally. So a lot of times service-based businesses are helping clients across state lines, sometimes even internationally as well. Um, and then even with social media and websites and all of that, people can see you have a big digital footprint. Mm -hmm. And so when you only have common law trademark rights and you're headquartered in Maryland, then you're vulnerable to someone misappropriating your name, using it, starting a competing business in a neighboring state like in Virginia or DC or something, and you wouldn't have any legal recourse. And so the importance of a trademark is to ensure that you have legal ownership, that you minimize any legal conflicts or disputes that arise later in the process, and so that you're able to license or sell or anything free and clear of any kind of conflicts or legal issues attached to it. That's the best thing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what, what you raised a great point, especially at this time in, in history, where people may have been doing local business, you know, they went to an office every day. Right. Uh, I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> right. And uh, and that maybe they've transitioned to an online. I know several people who have you know transitioned to an online presence and they're now helping people across the country where they were not before. Right. And that's a major shift. And so yeah. now we're talking about, yeah, federal protections instead of just state yeah. protections. So great point. All right. So this is a very meta podcast. You know, I'm a female founder of an expertise-based business that I hope to build to sell someday. And you are the founder of an expertise-based business. So are you building your business to perhaps sell it someday? Um, I don't know. I, that hasn't really, I don't think so, to be honest. I'm not, I don't think I'm building it to sell it. And not to say it's not a possibility, but for me, it's more of like, building a legacy while I'm here. We know once I'm gone, it doesn't have to be here anymore, <laughs> to be honest. It's just about like, you know, making my mark right now as I'm living, people will remember ratings IP law, but it doesn't have to actually continue. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once I'm gone, I don't, I don't expect my son to carry on the radiance IP law, but who knows? That's where I feel now. I mean, I'm, yeah. I've been in business mm -hmm. seven years, maybe you ask me in, in maybe five to seven years, maybe it's a different perspective, but for me, it's just about, you know, growing and scaling mm -hmm. to be able to employ people, be able to live the lifestyle that I want, mm -hmm. um, things like that. Yeah. Well, I agree. The legacy is what we do every day. It's not something that we do later or after right. or yeah, right. it's what we do every day, the decisions that we make. And just, I like to mention you are a young woman and that there may be a time that you just want another challenge. It's not, yeah. you know. And right. it would be nice to have an asset that you could sell. Correct. Absolutely. That. Yeah. So that's. The, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, just to wrap up, where can people find you? You can, uh, of course, check out our website, which is www.radianceiplaw.com. 
You can also um, follow me on Instagram mm-hmm. at Radiance Harris ESQ. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Radiance Harris on LinkedIn. Those are the primary three places where you can find me. Fantastic. Well, this has been a delight. So much great information. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today. And uh, yeah, and we're going to make sure we meet in person very soon. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for having me again. Thank you, Radiance. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com slash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.